We're going to turn back and uh, take a look at Timothy uh, together uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, but before we do so, uh, I'm going to pray again. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we do ask that you will be present to us through your word this evening, that it, uh, your word will be alive to us. It will be interacting with our souls, with our thoughts. It will challenge us. It will provoke us. It will rebuke us. It will encourage us. It will make us thankful and joyful and hopeful. And uh, we pray that as we look at the Word of God, that we will meet with the God of the Word, that you will uh, be here among us. Bless each person, Lord. We come uh, from different circumstances, uh, different life situations, uh, different things on our minds tonight, different worries, problems, uh, and uh, things that we might be struggling to deal with. May your, your gospel be our, bring us hope and uh, confidence this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, for his glory. Amen. Well, uh, I've introduced the topic to you already. Um, it's leadership. And uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, the character of the leader, uh, and what Paul says to Timothy uh, about uh, the character of the leader. I don't know what you think of the church, but uh, I'm not asking you what you think of St. Columbus in particular, or this church, but just church in general, because, of course, uh, most of the kind of mood music around church in, in culture now is really negative. Uh, so all the vibes we get from the media, from uh, colleagues perhaps, from friends, from uh, academics or lecturers at uni, you know, it's just that uh, the Christian faith in the church is old-fashioned, it's out of date, it's a sort of institution for narrow-minded and bigoted people. And we, you know, there's so much negativity uh, and bad press about the church that sometimes people in the church begin to believe it. And we let what other people say about the church shape what we think of church. Now, rather than allowing that to happen, we have to really immerse ourselves in the Bible and let what the Bible says about the church shape how we think about church. Now, the minute we do that, of course, we see that uh, rather than the church being some tired, old, worn-out institution for uh, narrow-minded people, God tells us the church is something wonderful, uh, something that is full of hope, and indeed that through the church, he's carrying out his great purpose in history to bring salvation and life to a lost world. So, in, in other words... From God's perspective, there's nothing more precious in the world than the church. And it's so precious to God that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and shed his blood for it. And God tells us, really, that the, the church carries the mission and the message of hope. So, to God, the church is precious and vital, and God gives the church ultimate significance. Uh, so don't take a low view of church take a very high view of church and uh, then the second thing I want to say off the back of that is that God takes his church, church and he trusts it to you 
He, he takes what's most precious to him in this world and he puts it into our care and our hands. He, he, he rules over it. He remains sovereign over it. But uh, he entrusts us with the life and the work and the ministry and the service and the mission of the church. That's an amazing confidence and trust that God is showing in you personally if you're a believer. That he, he takes his church and entrusts it into your care. And uh, so you've got to ask, well, what kind of people is God looking for to care for the church, to lead the church, to be active in the church, and to take on all the different kinds of leadership roles that there are uh, in the church? And so um, there are lots of myths about that, you know, that church leaders or people who have leadership in the church have to be sort of A-type outgoing personalities, uh, they've got to be cool, they've got to be entrepreneurial, they've got to have lots of uh, amazing skills and uh, you know, be somebody quite outstanding. And uh, that's sometimes what we think, but it's certainly not what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy. Uh, what do we know about Timothy? Well, several things. First of all, we know that in his own culture he was viewed... Uh, as a young man. So you're really going to need your Bible uh, open tonight. So pick up your Bible right now and put it in your hands. And First uh, Timothy 4.12, uh, we're told this, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. So somebody who was seen as a, a youth in his own culture, a juvenile in his own culture, Paul uh, was still willing to trust him with great responsibility in the church. Uh, in 2 Timothy, so go over to 2 Timothy now, chapter 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth. Just another confirmation of his youth. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, so this, the sermon is going to be like this. You're going to have to flick about. Do do it. Uh, it's good for you to just look at what the Bible is saying. And verse 23 of chapter 5, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So he was physically frail rather than robust. And then in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, uh, where we read together earlier, he says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. So in other words, he, he's one of the most important leaders of the early church and Paul really puts a great deal of confidence in Timothy and yet he was young he was shy and he was physically frail and prone to frequent illness so you know he isn't the typical sort of robust charismatic alpha male leader that sometimes we think God requires for the church in fact he's quite different from that and that's because what really counts in a leader is not the level of charisma, although it can be helpful, or how amazingly gifted they are, although gifts do matter. But what counts way above all of that is the character of the leader. And when the Bible is looking for leaders, it's looking for people of great godly character. And when you're being asked to take on any leadership role in the home, in the workplace, 
uh, in the life of this church at different aspects of the church's work, when you're taking on any kind of leadership in those functions, uh, you've got to ask, well, what, what do I need to, to, to do this in a way that will really glorify God? And the one thing that you need to be able to do this in a way that will glorify God is to cultivate godly character. Uh, so that's where we're going with this sermon tonight. It's just to look at the issue of character and uh, to say that character uh, really does matter. So if we want to see how much character counts, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and read there. And what we've got there is just a list of what Paul thinks qualifies somebody for leadership in the church. So look at the list. This is for the ordained eldership and deacons of the church, the men who are going to take on that role. What, what is Paul looking for them? And what you, look at the list, and as we read through the list, what you'll see is that virtually everyone, but not all of them, have to do with character. So read it with that view. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, that's an elder, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer, or elder, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. If there's nothing against them, let them serve, serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So as we go through that list, we see so many of the traits that he's looking for. Uh, somebody who's above reproach in character, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, uh, sober, not given to drunkenness, gentle, not quarrelsome or violent, uh, all to do with the character of the person. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, just the next chapter on, uh, in verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, as he's speaking to him about the kind of leader he's going to be, he says, set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. So again, it's, it's so much to do with the purity and godliness of his own life. So character really counts. Uh, one of the stories I sometimes tell to demonstrate that is of a, an evangelical leader from the United States. Uh, and he was a man of absolutely incredible charisma and power and talent and giftedness. And uh, he had a church of 14,000 people in Colorado Springs. He was head of the Evangelical Alliance in uh, the United States. 42 million people part of the Evangelical Alliance in the United States. So he, you know, obviously talented individual. 
What happened to his ministry? Well, he was caught out uh, taking drugs with a male prostitute uh, that he was paying for. And think of the devastation that causes. And you see, great gifting, but uh, his character. He let go of godly character. And when you've got somebody who's really gifted, but doesn't have godly character, then that's a disaster waiting to happen. Because they've got the gifts to lead, to manipulate, but not to produce spiritual fruit. And so character counts. Um, Secondly, I want to say that leadership know that their priority is to uh, disciple people. So, in other words, I'm saying that the character of the leader is a character that loves and cares for people and wants to see them grow in the truth. Uh, so, uh, look at what Paul says to, to Timothy at the beginning of 2 Timothy 2. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. And uh, we're getting into the kind of priority that, that the leader has in his heart. The thing that's driving the leader on in their work. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ. So, those in leadership have a heart for raising up other people in the truth, in the gospel. So, the picture here is of uh, passing the baton. It's a really late race, so I haven't done a really race since I was about 12, and we used to run uh, around Scots and showgrounds in Glasgow for our school sports on the Blaze uh, running track, and occasionally the PE teacher, who was a renowned sadist, uh, would give up uh, sort of the, the cross-country running and let us just jog around the track and do a bit of relay racing. So four people in the team, one sets off with the baton, somebody's waiting for them, you have to have a smooth transition of the baton and keep moving on and then pass it on to the next person and the next person. Now that's Paul's vision of how we function in the life of the church. As an apostle, he's been entrusted with the great truth of the gospel, but what's going to happen once he's gone? Second Timothy was written at, towards the end of Paul's life. He's in prison. future is not going to be uh, long for him. So He's thinking, what happens when I go? Who's going to carry on the work? Who's going to teach these same great truths and make sure that the gospel is known and proclaimed? So he says to Timothy, I'm passing the baton to you, the great truths of Christianity. Now, what are you going to do with the great truths that I've passed on to you? Well, he says, what you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men. So you're going to trust it to other guys, other men. And then they're going to also be able to teach others, Paul says. So there's this sequence, this kind of virus like, you know, it's like sneezing and uh, all the, the virus germs come out and then somebody else picks them up and sneezes. And, it, and you know, the, it's spreading like a virus from one person transmitted to another, to another, to another. But it's healthy, it's good, it's life giving, it's transforming. And that's how you should view uh, your your kind of ministry, your leadership, whether it's with young people or children or uh, women or others in the church, 
What are you wanting for them? You're wanting to really entrust the gospel into their lives so that they will then pass it on to others. Uh, You've got this great heart, this great motivation to let others know what the gospel is. Third thing I want to say is that leaders are reliable and loyal. Now, if you ask a minister or somebody who's in church leadership, who do you value most in the life of the church? They're probably always going to say it's the people I can depend on to show up and to help. Because that's just, you know, what we need. When we're we're entrusted with leadership, we need people we can depend on. So, uh, Paul depended on Timothy. He speaks in, first, in, in the first chapter of 2 Timothy about people who uh, had let him down. So verse 15. Think about what this was like for Paul. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Personal betrayal is one of the costs of leadership and uh, painful costs. Uh, why did Paul love Timothy so much? Because he was so loyal and so dependable. And when he's telling Timothy to look for people to pass the gospel on to, what kind of people is he saying to Timothy, pass the gospel on? He's saying, entrust it to reliable men, people you can really depend on, people who will turn up when they need to turn up, and when they say they'll turn up. People you can depend on to be at your side, fighting with you uh, in in the work of the gospel. Um, So that's a challenge, I think, because a lot of us are not very reliable in life and not very dependable. Uh, There was a guy who visited the church here last summer from uh, Toronto, but he grew up in Glasgow, and I was speaking to him. His name's Gordon, or Gord Fleming. He lives in Vancouver now, and he runs a, a church planting network there, but I was speaking to him about his views in Christian leadership. He said, when I'm making elders, he says, I I say that the elder is the guy who's got to be willing to take a bullet for the pastor. He's like uh, the secret service agent who runs along beside the president's limousine, uh, and if anybody's going to try and harm the president, then the, the, the secret service agent puts his body in the way of harm. And an elder in the church has got that sense of loyalty that he will put himself in the way of harm, that he'll protect and support his leader, his pastor, his minister. And those are the kind of leaders we're looking for in our church. As we minister in this church, what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for future leaders for this congregation. We're looking for future leaders for the church in Scotland. Guys who will take up the challenge of re-evangelizing this nation. We're looking for people who will be Christian leaders in this city, in their work, in their profession, uh, and and in, in social and cultural life. And I'm asking, where are those leaders? Who are the people that we can totally depend on for the future? To stand up for Jesus and take the heat And be there where it counts. Are you the reliable men that Derek can depend on, or I can depend on, that Christ can depend on for the work of the gospel? 
Mark Driscoll, not everybody's cup of tea, not particularly my cup of tea always, but he talked about BAMs. Now, I come from Glasgow, okay? And uh, a BAM is a word I've used uh, to describe many people in my life. Uh, and uh, it's short for BAMPOT. Uh, and a BAMPOT is a sort of idiotic and awkward, objectionable, sort of difficult person. You know, they, they, they like to make life difficult for others. So that, that's not what Mark Driscoll uh, meant by a BAM, though. He's not that well educated. He doesn't know Glasgow idioms. What, but he, he, what he was talking about was what he calls delayed, ad, uh, or sort of, not delayed adolescence, but sort of boys who don't grow up, essentially. And uh, he, he said, uh, these boy men, he called them BAMs, boy man. Because a, lot, because a lot of young men are taking a lot longer to, to really take on responsibility in life. You know, they, they, they want to sit into their mid-twenties and late-twenties still playing computer games all the time and uh, sort of, you know, pretending they're still kids. And uh, I just want to say, if that's you, you're wasting your life. God has given you one life to live for his glory. I'm just pleading, don't fritter it away. God wants you to be somebody of great character and godly character whose passion is for his glory and who wants you to go and win a world for him and pursue lost people because they're going to die and go to hell without the gospel. And so, for me, for Derek, for anybody who's looking for the next generation of leaders coming up, we just don't want to see you frittering your life away. We just want to see you instead be people who have a great heart to pass on the gospel to others, who are reliable and who are loyal. Uh, they know the message they want to share. Verse 8, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. This is chapter 1 of, of 2 Timothy. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. I'm going to just finish with two or three bullet points, really. First of all, you need great dedication. Absolute amazing dedication if you're going to exercise leadership in Christ's church. Uh, Jesus prays, uh, or asks, uh, says, says in uh, Matthew 9, verse 38, the fields are white to harvest. There's plenty of work to be done, so pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. What we need are workers for the gospel in this church and in this country. So we're praying for workers, but what we want are workers, people who will really labor hard for the gospel, it is hard work. So uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 5, he compares it to being like an athlete. Now, I'm not an athlete, uh, but you know, I've watched athletes trained. What dedication. Uh, my dad was, was a skinny little boy uh, when he was 14 or 15 with chest problems and bronchitis and so on, and he was told to start exercising, and he decided he wanted to be a champion uh, throwing the hammer, uh, the 12-pound hammer or whatever it was. Every night he would stand for at least half an hour against a wall just flicking his wrists off the wall so that he developed great strength in his wrists for 
what you need to do to chuck hammers about, I suppose. But you see just that amazing dedication to a task. Working hard to do it as well as you possibly can do it. The hard-working farmer, we're told in verse 6, should be first to receive a share of the spoils. Um, be diligent, we're told, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn to 1 Timothy 4, just for one minute. Okay. Verse 8. Let's go to verse 8. What does he say? Physical training is of some value. So he's taken up the picture of athletic training or physical training. But godliness is value in all things. You've got to train yourself in a godly life. Um, in verse 9, uh, he says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this what? We labor and strive. We're working hard. We're striving for something. We're putting our energy and our effort in. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself, commit yourself, give everything to the public reading of Scripture. Verse 15, be diligent, just work away at it, give yourself to it. Verse 16, persevere in these things. Chapter 6, verse 12, what does he say? Fight the good fight of faith. Second time he said that in letter, he says it in chapter 1, verse 18. Fight the good fight. So fighting, striving, devoted, committed, laboring, those are the ideas, working hard, giving everything. You know, you'll probably work hard for some things in your life, but are you working hard for what counts above everything else? And that leads us to what are you willing to give up for Christ? Because he says that you need to be ready to endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I was reading to somebody, uh, or listening to something on Radio 4 the other day, a guy was talking about the Roman army, and uh, I think you joined up. You couldn't join until you were 20, and you had to sign up for 20 years. You weren't allowed to be married. You would travel all over the world. In fact, uh, I think it was a child I know that was giving me all this information as well, uh, that they had to do 17 miles of marching every day with an the equivalent weight of an eight-year-old boy on their back. And uh, they had to run marathons at certain times of the year. Huge commitment to being a soldier. Huge self-sacrifice. Greater sacrifice is required. What are you giving up in terms of your money, your time, your popularity, your prestige? Last thing is this, though. None of this is achievable for you on your own. I'm not just sort of laying out a sort of eight things a great leader is. These are the things you have to be kind of thing. Because what this is is ultimately a work of God in your life. And to serve God in any capacity, you need to be resting in the Holy Spirit. That's why... Uh, in verses 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy 1, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control or self-discipline. What We need God to be living in us in the power of the Spirit, so that as we serve, we serve not in our strength or power, but in His power, and that's the only way spiritual fruit will come from what we do. 
Secondly, we're serving not out of simple duty, but out of loving obedience, a spirit of love. We love Christ. He's given everything for us, and now we give our life back as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him and say, Jesus, you are worth everything to me, and I'm giving you everything. And then a spirit of self-control. The Holy Spirit teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to temptation, no to sin, no to lust, no to greed, no to anger, and to say yes to prayer, to reading the Bible, to say yes to purity, yes to learning good doctrine and good theology so that we've got truth to pass on to others. And so we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How can you be this godly character only as God's Spirit fills you and takes hold of your life and shapes you for His glory? But you need to be a willing participant in that process. I'm going to finish there, say a quick word of prayer, and then we'll move on. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you to you this evening for Timothy, that somebody who was completely unremarkable from a human perspective is somebody that you used in amazing ways for your glory. And Lord, we are not remarkable people, but we have a remarkable God, and you fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can live for you and serve you well in this world. May we give everything for Jesus, who has given everything for us. Amen.